let's go ahead and start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for this opportunity to look into your word, to study two individuals that, that served you well. And they were very different. They're very different men, but they, uh, they had different gifts and different talents, and, and you used them well. Help us just to look at their lives and to understand how we might be like them. And so uh, we thank you in advance, Lord. Just be with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, the pretty, pretty basic stuff, we could do that. Ezra and Nehemiah, I thought um, Brett, we're always, he's changing things around. Maybe it's not Brett, maybe it's Travis, who knows, when we got the order out. Uh, and all of a sudden, combine the two books together. But then as I did a little research, they actually were one book in the, in the Hebrew text. And it was one continuous book. So it really, and it really makes sense uh, in a way. But if you look on the back side there and see the chapters, I've got average, the first return and then the second return and the third return, it gets a little confusing there. And... Uh, uh, well, let, let me let me start out with the okay. Let me give you the, the details here. Ezra, I love the way in the scripture it has people's names mean something. You know, like my name is Mike, and it's a nickname. Well, Michael means something, uh, but Ezra means Jehovah helps, and I thought that's really neat. He, and he was a guy that obviously Jehovah helped him, and. He had lots of issues to deal with. And Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, he was uh, served the king all the time. And his name means Jehovah Comforts. That's kind of a neat name, too. And then the author, there's a little discrepancy of who the author was. But since it originally was one book, I, I believe Ezra was the actual author of the whole book. And he was a scribe and a, uh, a priest at the same time. And he was an excellent scribe. He was, I, I didn't realize that until I got into it. But, and Nehemiah was a layman, but he, we'll get into him a little later. So they're, they're very different. One is the, the priesthood, the scribe, and the other one is the layman's, like you and me. So you, we can relate to that. Ezra wrote, um, he probably wrote all of it, although some of them say Nehemiah wrote parts of it. What it was is Nehemiah, when we get into that part, he actually wrote diaries. And so what probably happened is Ezra compiled those together. And he was quite a student. Uh, it says he probably wrote, tradition says, he probably wrote First and Second Chronicles. And Lee's going to go over that next week. So, so next week you want to read First and Second Chronicles. And it even said Psalm 119. And so I was trying to verify that. And so I don't know if he wrote it or this is tradition or if he compiled it. And it sounded from some of the history I read about Ezra, he was an organizer. He, um, he organized the synagogue because remember when the temple was gone, what would the, the priest supposed to do? Well, what Ezra did is he studied the word. And we're going to get into that when we see, I think it's chapter seven. It's really a neat chapter about that. So he was kind of a special guy. So when we, I like to, is Brett here? He's not here. Oh, that's right. That's right. The youth, okay. I always tease Brett as being our favorite scribe. And that scribe is not a bad thing. And, and Ezra is an example of a very good scribe. So he, they would translate the scriptures, but he, he became a very good student of that. And Nehemiah was just the opposite. He was a, a layman. He was not uh, the, a priest or anything in that sense. But we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, as far as the dates, uh, it's, it starts at the decree of Cyrus. And that's 538 B.C. That was a long time ago. And it goes to, to about 430 B.C. And that's the second governorship of Nehemiah. 
And supposedly it was written no later than about 400 BC. But what you need, I think what you need more than just the dates, because those dates are, to me, don't mean a lot. But the time is, basically this is when the northern tribes had already been taken captive by Assyria. And what the Assyrians did is they would come in and invade a land and they would take you out of the land. So let's say if you're in Greeley and they came in and invaded Greeley, they would move you all to Johnstown or some other place. And then they bring the people from Johnstown in here. And by mixing people up, that was their philosophy. That was how they could keep down insurrection and that. And so they may bring in some Eaton people and even Evans people, you know? <laughs> well, who knows? Whatever it is. Yeah. But that, that's what would happen. And it, it's interesting because that's what the Assyrians did uh, but the uh, and, and the, the northern tribes the ten northern tribes when they took them away they never came back they were in an apostasy to begin with and basically God said okay they were gone and now don't get me wrong they might have come back into the southern kingdom and later on come back but uh, anyway as a, as a nation as part of northern Israel they weren't around and at that, a uh, little after that, uh, later on, the southern kingdom, which was basically Judah, and maybe a little bit of Benjamin in there, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And so they did the same kind of thing. They were very much like the Assyrians. The Babylonians were a little better. They picked the best of them, and they took them, and they kept them in captivity. And we're going to get that when we get to the book of Daniel. We're going to see about that. So that's how that relates in there. Um, Let's see, the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and carried most of the Jewish people from the south into captivity, the best ones. They left Judah mostly deserted, and it laid waste for 70 years, and nobody even wanted the land. It wasn't like today, you know, they're fighting over the land in Israel. Then they didn't want it. It was pretty, pretty desolate. That didn't come until later. Uh, while in captivity, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians. So this was constant. There was constant turmoil going on in the world. Um, and we'll get into that in Daniel, too. The Persians had a different philosophy. I talked about that. They were a much uh, kinder people, and they would repatriate the people. Since there's so many wars and stuff going on, the, the people from Johnstown would finally get to go back to Johnstown, and people in Greeley go back to Greeley. And so they liked to do that. It was a different philosophy, different administration, if I call it, call it that. So that's what was going on. So when we start Ezra, uh, this is, tells about the return of the Jews from the 70 years of exile in Babylon. So these are basically the, the Judah, the southern uh, kingdom. And Judah, that's where they get the term Jews from the word Judah. That's kind of a, um, a nickname, I guess you could call it. Uh, let's see. Ezra, Ezra was a priest, uh, and he couldn't serve in the temple, which was destroyed. So he gave his time to the study of the Word of God. And that's going to become real important. As you read through Ezra, you'll see that. He has a very definite emphasis on that. The return begins with the decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in 538 B.C. And we should probably, we'll probably start out reading that. I want to look at the first chapter there. Let me just kind of go over an overview of the whole, of both books, and then we'll get into some of the detail. Um, Cyrus allowed the people to go back under the leadership of Zerubbabel. These are hard names to spell, too. There's a lot of B's in that, so you can't. But Zerubbabel, he was basically like a governor. We would think of maybe, not, maybe a, a big mayor or a governor. And the first thing they did when they got back is um, 
they built an altar to the God of Israel, which was really a good thing, and they started sacrifices. They were doing what the law said. Uh, they started on the foundation of the temple, and everybody was excited. And this was a good thing. They were doing the right things. But then opposition arose, just like in our lives. Doesn't it sound familiar? And it stopped for, it, it varies, different people say 15, 16 years. And so it took another king, instead of just Cyrus, another one. And this one, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I've heard it, uh, Darius or Darius. So depending on which side of the street you're on, you can call him either one. And there was Darius 1, 2, and 3. So in that, the back page will probably explain that a little bit. Uh, and he allowed him to continue to rebuild. And after the temple was completed, Ezra returned to Jerusalem. He left and then he came back in with less, or Ezra comes in, excuse me. Zerubbabel started out with the first return. And then Ezra comes back about, uh, let's see, that was about... 13 years later, I think it was, might have that wrong. But there was only about 2,000 people. I actually have the exact number because it says there on the scripture on the back page. But it's a small number. It's really kind of sad. And then the leaders told Ezra, the people, including the priests and Levites, were intermarrying with idolatrous neighbors. So this was not good. They were commingling with the other uh, people. And this is what God forbade them to do. Ezra confronts the people with their sin. The people confess their sin, pledge to put their wives away, and it's kind of a rough time, but they actually, there's, there's like a revival going on. So Ezra got that started, and we'll get into the details of some of that. Then if you jump to Nehemiah, like I said, he worked for the king, uh, King Artaxerxes, and uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. So this is a, he's the guy that gets to taste everything before the king does. And obviously, if, if I'm the king and Lee's tasting it for me, if Lee keels over, you go, okay, I probably won't eat that or drink that, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, he was with the king all the time. Can you imagine the relationship they get? You know, if you've got a good cupbearer, the king's going to like you. And, and he always had to be happy around the king. This was normal protocol in, in the time. Uh, but one time he wasn't, and then we, we see what happens when that happens. Uh, let's see. So the, Jew, the time frame is the Jews were home for about 100 years, but it only rebuilt the temple. That's all as far. In 100 years, you think you could do a little more than that, and they, they should have. Uh, Nehemiah heard of the condition of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. The gates were burned. And in a city, when the walls are down and there's no gates, guess what? You have no to protect yourself from the enemy. So there's not much you can do. We don't do that today. We have police departments, and we're, we're supposedly civilized, supposedly. So um, let's see. But So Nehemiah, when he heard that news, it really struck him. Here he's in a great job. He's got a cushy job, working for the king. He probably eats really well, has plenty to drink, and he's, he's well off. We're going to see that later on because of the things he does. He provides even from his own uh, household or table, I think it was 150 people. Now, I don't know about you, but we usually don't have 150 people for dinner. So he's, he's a little different class than we are. But he mourned and fasted for days, and then he prayed. And he was sad before the king, and the king actually says, Hey, Nehemiah, so they must have had a good relationship. And he says, You're not usually like this. And so Nehemiah says, Yeah, well, I'm, I'm depressed because my, my homeland is in desecration. You know, there's, the gates are burned and this. And he actually gets brave, and he, he asks him to go ahead and uh, rebuild it. And the king says, Yes. 
the, the Persians were very nice. I mean, they were, if they were going to be conquered in any period of time, don't be the Assyrians. They were probably the worst. Babylonians may be a little better. Persians were a lot better, at least in this time in history. So when Nehemiah reached uh, Jerusalem, this was in 445 B.C., Ezra had been there about 13 years, so they, there's kind of an overlap here. Nehemiah had got the people to work together to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Just as, uh, just as with Ezra, opposition arose. So it's just typical. As soon as something goes good, then there's going to be some opposition. Nehemiah countered with prayer and posting guards. You probably remember from reading that. Um, then opposition, he had oppositions within the ranks. Some of the people, the royalty in that, uh, they wouldn't serve, and they were actually taking advantage of the, the other people. So the royalty would loan money to them at usury, and that was forbidden from Israel. If, if Lee wants to borrow money from them, I give him 100 bucks, great. When he gives it back, he gives me 100 bucks, and we're happy. End of story. But no, they were charging them. I don't know what the interest rate, but it was bad. So anyway, they were, they were taking up over the opposition from the outside, from the other peoples, and then all of a sudden now from the inside. This was not good, and Nehemiah was, was not happy with that. But he did get everybody to work together. In fact, Nehemiah is a great book. Any of you men or women that supervise people is a great book to study. Uh, I remember years ago, I just got into to management with, with the oil company, and I was kind of struggling with, well, what are you supposed to do now that you're the manager? And I was reading Nehemiah, and all of a sudden I go, wow, there's a lot of neat lessons in there. How do you treat people and how you get people to work in front of their own house? In other words, get something, find something. If Josh is really good at Broncos, he loves the Broncos. Well, don't put him over the Seahawks. You know, that would be the wrong thing to do. But anyway, Nehemiah is a good book to that for, for guys if you, if you uh, want to study that later. When he got done, they finished the wall. Remember, it had been 100 years, and they finished it in 52 days. Makes a difference when God's involved. And we're going to see part of that, the big reason that is Nehemiah's emphasis on prayer and his reliance on God. Uh, but I'm just going to over the top right now. Uh, let's see. In chapter 8, uh, that's a really key chapter. Ezra reads the law to all the people from daybreak to noon. So just think, Travis, you know, we only give him a little time. Can you imagine coming in daybreak? This is, this is not, not 8, 30, 9 o'clock. This is when the sun comes up. I don't know what it is now till noon. That's a long time. It's probably about six hours. And the result was the people fasted and started wearing sackcloth and confessed their sin. It was a real revival again. So there's a lot of parallels between uh, the, the two men. Uh, the people even bound themselves with a curse and an oath uh, to follow the law of God. And Nehemiah was, was a man of prayer, and he was a reformer. And so let's, let's look at the first, what I'd like you to look at first, I want you to, to use your Bibles a little. Uh, we want to look at Jeremiah, because I want you to see what God says. It's always neat to see God's commentary. I love to see the commentary of the Bible on the Bible. So we look at uh, Jeremiah, uh, let's see, 25. Oops. 25, uh, verses 6 through 12. And this is, uh, this is why the 70 years, why there were 70 years in captivity, and then what's going to happen uh, to Babylon. We'll see that. So we're in Jeremiah 25, verse 6. 
And uh, God is, basically God has been talking to them and says, uh, let's see, in verse 6, Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me. Parents, have you ever said that to your kids? Okay. <laughs> Declares the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. And you have provoked me and made your hands and your what and with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord God Almighty says this Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant. He's calling Nebuchadnezzar his servant. I think that's interesting. That's how God deals with kings. We think of, okay, we got a new president. Guess what? He's God's servant. I love that. Uh, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring uh, them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, from the voices of brides and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country become desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But at least there's a limit to this. But, verse 12, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring it upon that land, all the things I have spoken against it. So anyway, that's why they were there in captivity. And yet, the, because the Babylonians kind of overdid it, they're going to get punished too. And just turn a little further in Jeremiah, uh, to verse 20, let's see, chapter 29. And look at uh, verse 4. This is God speaking to the exiles. It says, what he's going to do. It says, This is what the Lord, God, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, this is, this is kind of unique. Now, think of this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And this is kind of an unusual thing for God to say, you're in captivity. But he's saying you're going to only be there 70 years, but he wants you to settle down. He doesn't want you to, to rebel against the kingdom and try and come back. He said he's teaching them a lesson is what he's doing. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which you, I have carried you into exile. So get along with the people that you're, you're living with. Pray the Lord for it, because it, if, if it prospers, prospers, excuse me, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, or you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So in other words, the Lord was was telling them, okay, you're put in here, you're kind of in timeout, okay? You ever do that with your kids? You're in timeout for a while, for 70 years, because you didn't obey what my, my law said. And so, but at the same time, there's hope, you're going to come back. The northern kingdom didn't get that. Uh, they were just, they were in apostasy. In fact, when we go through the kings, 
I don't know who has kings. When we go that, through that, the northern kingdom had all bad kings. Southern kingdom, they had a few, and you can probably memorize those, you know, and the rest of them were bad. So most of them were bad, which is sad. But the northern kingdom had none, which is, it just shows you the idea of what, what the northern kingdom was like. Let's see. Um, okay. Let's, um, oh, something I should mention, uh, we're going to get to the prophets later, uh, or the minor, major and minor prophets. Prophets Haggai and Zechariah were in the time of Ezra from about chapters 4 to 6. So we're not going to get into that tonight. I'm not going to talk about that at all, but just for your reference. So, uh, in fact, um, well, I'll deal with that, that at the end. So let's get to the purpose. And I already wrote it out for you, so I'll just read it. They're, they're a little long. Although Yahweh sovereignly reestablished the theocracy under godly leadership during the time of the Gentile oversight and oppression, the sons of Israel failed to follow Yahweh. Does it sound like judges? We get a lot of the same theme. And then the theme, now this is new. Okay, you didn't have. The theme is the return from Babylon, reconstruction of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And more importantly was the reform of the Hebrew people. Both Ezra and Nehemiah tried to do that. That was really their, their calling. And it was interesting, uh, Ezra being the priest scribe did it differently than Nehemiah. Nehemiah was more of the organizer. He was the, uh, um, and he did good things. He got the people actually active and working. And so, and then you see together, the part of the book, they actually work together, which is even better. Travis. Could you repeat that theme, please? Oh, Three yeah, the, the theme is the return from Babylon, Reconstruction of the temple and walls of Jerusalem and the reform of the Hebrew people. And then if you look at the outline, I'll speak in a second you're looking at that. Just roughly, you see Ezra is really broken down in two parts. Can you repeat the theme again? Yeah. The, re the, re <laughs> the return from Babylon, reconstruction of the temple and walls of Jerusalem, and reform of the Hebrew people. So the return, the reconstruction, and the reform. Wow, that sounds like a, you could do a, a sermon on that, huh? <laughs> Didn't plan it that way. But anyway, to the, the outline. Bryce, do you have a question? Oh, okay, you mean leave, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Bryce. I didn't need to say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you notice, Ezra is broken down into two parts, although in the middle we have Esther. And see, Josh got in last week. He did that Esther last week, but that's kind of where they think it fits. Okay? So I was trying to give you a timeline and an outline at the same time. So we have Ezra, the, uh, the return and reconstruction under Zerubbabel. That was at 538. This is when 49,697 people came back. Yeah, they kept track of it. So then Esther, you had Esther, and we dealt with that last week. And then you have Ezra 7 through 10 is return and reform under Ezra. He came back, the priest. So Zerubbabel is just a governor. He's more like, kind of like Nehemiah was, actually. And then, uh, although he was set up that way. I think Zerubbabel was actually royalty. I think he was from the royal tribe. The, uh, so, but I, anyway, that's, that's an aside. When Ezra came back, there was only 1,758 people, so it was a much less number-wise. And I don't know how many were in captivity, but um, it was probably a lot more than the 50,000 that came back. It, the majority stayed there. 
which is kind of sad. And we're going to get into that in Daniel a little bit. Uh, but in other words, most of the people, they had the opportunity. The Persians were very nice. They said, hey, anybody that wants to come back, uh, they can come back and you can take offerings from your friends and buddies. And they did. The people did that. And they actually, because they had some problems, because one guy, Cyrus, said they can go. Then the next guy, Darius or Darius, whatever his name is, he actually paid for out of the royal treasury. And then when Nehemiah comes back, he gets the king to help finance it, too. Can you imagine this? Public works money going for to rebuild uh, the Jerusalem. So the, the Persians were really very nice, or at least God used them in that, in that sense. Then we move on to Nehemiah, and the, the first, um, first seven chapters of that is rebuilding the walls. And that's at 445 B.C. And then we get 8 through 10. That's the revival of the people under Ezra. That's, that's the best part of the book right there. And then 11 through 13 is uh, reinforcement of the work under Nehemiah. They had more reforms. And that's kind of sad because he had, when he came back, Nehemiah had two times. He came, or he came once, and then he left, and then he came back again. And when he came back, guess what? The kids were playing. The house was a mess. And it's like, what are you guys doing? And he had to reform them again. It's kind of sad. There's a theme here. You notice that? And, and judges and this. And we're, we're people like that. Uh, okay, well, let's look at major themes. Uh, the first one is, is kind of, well, it's, it's, the, uh, it's a term. It's the God of heaven. And uh, if we think of, uh, we've heard of the God of Israel, uh, the God of Jerusalem. Uh, the God of the Israelites, the God of heaven, that was to distinguish the people from the territorial gods in the, the area. So what they usually had is they had, they, they thought Evans had a God, okay, and Greeley had a God. And that's the way they thought. And sometimes they thought the gods were in the hills. So Estes, okay, the hills gods. And, and then if the, you were in the wrong place and your God wasn't the right God, the Broncos would get beat by such and such. You know, it was, it was a lot of superstition, which is really sad. But it's, it's kind of unique here. Cyrus, Darius, Darius uh, both called uh, the God of heaven. They called Israel's God the God of heaven, which is kind of unique. If you look at Ezra, let's, let's start there. This will be easy because we'll just kind of pick a few chapters and run with it. And let me, let me just read that part of the first, maybe about seven verses of this to give you a sense of what was going on. It's really amazing because you see oh, another theme in, in this is the sovereignty of God. But it, it's weaved through everything uh, from what they call, what the prayers they did, um, the reading of the law. And then the, later, later on, we're going to see the sin and confession of the people throughout that. The whole everything that you see here in Ezra and Nehemiah, you can see the sovereignty of God over and over again. He's his overriding control of what was going on. So, starting as of chapter 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. See, we already looked at that verse. That was that, that, uh, in uh, Jeremiah 25. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is, this is real. You say it today, you know, put it in writing, you really mean it. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, said. This is Cyrus speaking. Okay, this is really unusual. It just amazes me. The Lord God of heaven, this is what Cyrus is calling him, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judea. 
any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who, uh, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold and goods and livestock and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah, Benjamin, the priest, the Levites, everyone whose heart was moved. You notice the, 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 the volition of this. The people, he wanted them to do that because they want, this is Cyrus. This isn't God speaking. This, well, God speaking through Cyrus. But he's asking them, he says, anybody who wants to can do this. That whose heart God has moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And all the neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and valuable gifts in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, had placed in the temple of his God. Remember that back in that scene before when they were, they were partying it up and the, they were drinking out of the goblets? These are the religious goblets that they had in the temple. Well, guess what? That was the end of that night, the handwriting on the wall, and boom, we'll see that in Daniel. But anyway, it's like God put them, took them to Babylonia and, and put them there and just take care of them. And so they actually have an accounting of it. Now, we weren't going to go into that at all. Uh, but all those things were preserved, and then they get to bring him back. So God took him to captivity with the intent of bringing him back. That's why he wanted him to stay there and, and be comfortable and raise kids and not be rebel rousers and, and, and uh, troublemakers. So it's interesting. If you keep God told them in advance, all they had to do is, is obey him, which is hard to do, it seems. So um, let's look at let's go to chapter five, verse 11, just a couple of verses there. And this is talking of Darius or Darius. I'm not sure which is better. Um, let me just read this. Uh, oh, this is a letter to Darius. This is, and this is the answer they gave us. This is the, the people now speaking. He says, the servants of the God of heaven, here are they using, the, the Israeli people were saying, they are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple. We're on a mission from God. Just think of that. That was built many years ago. One that a great king of Israel built and finished. But they admitted this. This is big. But because our fathers angered the God of heaven, he handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, the king of Babylon, who destroyed the temple and deported the people to Babylon. And let's see, do I want to keep going? Uh, yeah, one more verse. However, the first year of King Cyrus of Babylon, uh, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. So anyway, that's where they start. So here again, even the people were considering, they were calling it the God of heaven. Uh, and then in look in uh, chapter 7, chapter 12, whoops. this is Artaxerxes. And if you look on the back, he's one of the last kings. Okay, that gets involved with, with Esther. So the, all these different kings can get, really get you confused. You really need that diagram. Uh, verse 7 through 12, 
And this is what Artaxerxes, another Persian king, says, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. This is, he's known, Ezra is known as a teacher of the law of God by a, by a foreigner. Just think of that, by the Persian uh, king. This is greetings. Now I declare, declare that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who wish to go to Jerusalem may, uh, with you, may go. Uh, you are... You were sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and the priest for the temple of their God in Jerusalem." So, and one more verse, if we go down to 23, we'll find out he's not as benevolent uh, as you might think he is. Um, Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. You see that over and over again. Why? Listen to this. Why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? So he's, he's going along with all that. Obviously, God's controlling this. Here again, the sovereignty of God. But this, this king, this, Artic, this person king, Artaxerxes, it says, hey, uh, take your money, take this, offer a sacrifice, and pray for me and my sons. You know, it's like, this is a big deal. It's just, there's wars and stuff. So uh, it wasn't like every four years things would change. Things would change even when there was another uprising. So anyway, and in Nehemiah, there's a couple of chapters, too. He refers it as the um, God of heaven. But I want to get to the, the next uh, theme is the prayers. And let's start with Ezra 8 and verse 21. This is, uh, this is, almost, this is kind of humorous. And if you remember prayers, the true servants of God are men who pray. The mark of a godly man is a man that prays. And Ezra was definitely that. I love Ezra for this. Great example. Uh, eight, chapter 8, Ezra, and verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a flat fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey. This is before they're, when they're coming back. For us and our children with all our possessions. I love this, the honesty here. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because he told the king, the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against those who forsake him. So he couldn't really ask for help. Now we're gonna find out Nehemiah does the opposite. He's, he asked for help, so, but, but Ezra did. And I thought that was neat. He admitted that he says, so he's totally relying on God, which is actually a better thing if you think about it. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. I love that. So that's just one of the prayers. Let's go to chapter nine and verse, this is a little longer section. Um, this is when they actually start confessing the things they got in trouble with and what they did. Um, it's 1 through 15. It's a little long, but I think it's worth reading. So hopefully you've read it, but in case you haven't. This is Ezra's prayer about intermarriage. And that's not a good thing. Okay. 
this is not to be married. Married is good. Intermarriage is not good. Okay. I want to make that clear. In today's environment, you have to clarify things. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, had not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Wow. Uh, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and they have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led their way in unfaithfulness. The people are coming to him and admitting this, which is amazing. It's, it, that's neat. Okay. But when he heard this, this is Ezra's reaction now. Ezra said, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled out hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. I think this was a very Jewish reaction, but this was pretty severe. Uh, I didn't do that. That isn't why I'm bald. Okay. <laughs> then everyone who trembled at the words of God, I love that. Everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of his unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Poor Ezra is just devastated. He's just absolutely devastated. And, and let's, let's see what happens, though. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn, fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. So he was on his face. And this is, this is Ezra's prayer. My God, I am too ashamed of disgrace to lift my face to you. My God, because of our sins, notice he doesn't say their sins, he's saying our sins are higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great. Because our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage, to humiliation at the hands of foreign kings as it is today. They recognize why they were being judged. But now for a brief moment, brief moment the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, O oh God, what can I say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you gave to your servants, the prophets, when you said, The land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled uh, it with the impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to the sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time, that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet, our God, you have punished us less than the sins have our sins have deserved. Wow, do we admit that? And have given us a remnant like this. Shall we again break your commands and intermarry with the people who commit such detestable practices? 
Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. And then what happens uh, right after that in uh, chapter 10, this is the people, this is their reaction. This is while, well, let me just read it. I can't say it better than the scripture says. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd, the people saw this. Can you imagine it was, well, this is what Ezra was doing. And the people, the men, the women, the children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, uh, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. Take courage for it. So Ezra rose up and put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what had been suggested. And they took an oath and Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of Jehonahan, son of Elijah, Elijah, excuse me, while he was there and ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. A proclamation was issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit all his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and the elders and would himself be expelled from the assembly. Within three days, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion because of the rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful, you have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people around you and from your foreign wives. The, soul, the whole assembly responded with a loud voice, you are right, we must do what you say. And they actually do that. Can you imagine that was splitting up families? That must have been really hard. Uh, but anyway, that's what, what they ended up doing. It's really kind of sad, but it was it was neat that the people, when they saw the example of Ezra, were so moved that they were they were moved to repentance, to confession. Um, let's let's jump into Nehemiah, and uh, we'll look at that in chapter one. These are still with the prayers I'm dealing with. Oops, Oops I went too far, and. Uh, <coughs> You notice a, there's a lot of similarity, and it probably, it could have been, well, anyway. Uh, let me see. Let's start with the first chapter, Nehemiah's prayer. Um, this is after Nehemiah heard all the, the things that were terrible in, in Jerusalem, the walls broken down, the gates burned, and stuff like that. Verse 4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
Then I said, does that sound like Ezra? I mean, God obviously got a hold of Ezra and Nehemiah and gave him a compassion for, for the land and says, hey, look at this is what's going on there. And so look, listen, this is a neat prayer. O Lord God of heaven and great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love to those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive to your eyes. Open your and to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But, there's always a but, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even our exiled people, you are the farthest horizon, I will gather them and there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to me, attentive to the prayer of your servant and to your prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So that's his, this is Nehemiah when he's wanting to go back and rebuild that. So that's his prayer. Um, oh, and there's in Nehemiah 2, verse 4, this is probably more like you and I pray, okay? Uh, I call them arrow prayers. I don't know if that's a, that's not theological term by any means. Okay. Uh, before he goes, let's see, should I go back a little bit? Um, well, he goes in front of the king and he said, the king said, uh, remember he was sad in front of the king, and it says, the king says, what did you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. So it couldn't be real long. He couldn't have, he probably didn't have 144 characters even, you know. He had to do it quickly. And I answered the king. So obviously the king asked him something and he says, God help me with this. I hope this is going to work right. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. And the king lets him do it. Can you imagine that? That's really amazing. That's our, the hand of God there, obviously. And then, in, let's see, I've got also another verse. Whoops. Uh, oh, well, let me read that too. Verse 8, just, just he gives you credit to where credit is due. And may I have a letter to Asaph? See, he's a little bolder than Ezra was. He's asking for things. I have, uh, may I have a letter from Asaph, keeper of the king's forest. In other words, he, the lumber store, okay? So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, for my temple, and for the city wall, and for my residence, uh, the residence I will occupy. And because, this is the important part, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. I love that. Okay. Uh, let's look on Nehemiah. Let's go to chapter 5. And um, just read a couple of verses. Let's see. 
cents. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Oh, I got the wrong version. Never mind. Uh, 513. Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out the house and possessions of every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and empty. Is that what I wanted? That isn't what I wanted. I think I have the wrong verse there. Well, let's go on to six, six nine. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what. Uh, this is where more more opposition. Uh, they poor guys. Uh, six nine through fourteen. Oh, this is this should help us to see. Uh, Probably the biggest, biggest problem I have in my life is what I call distractions. You probably don't know what those are, but I, I can explain it to you. But uh, this, this will exemplify it. I think it'll, it'll help. Uh, let's see, verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us. These are the, 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 the other the people in opposition to Nehemiah. Uh, their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. They were, they were complaining. They said, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, uh, of Deliah, I hope I was butchering that, and then the, the son of whatever this was, who shut up at me in his home, and he said, let us meet in the house of God. Sounds very religious, doesn't it? Inside the temple, let us close the temple doors, because the men are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. By night they will come and kill you. So what are these guys trying to do? They're trying to frighten Nehemiah. But listen to what he says. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Those are the bad guys, Tobiah and Sanballat. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin doing this and then would give me a bad name to discredit me. And that's one thing Nehemiah didn't want to do. So it's, that's why I call the distractions of life. They, they come up. And so when you find those, go to God and says, you know, help me. Help me to understand what, what should I weed out and not. And then finally, in Nehemiah 13, this is still on the prayers. Let's see what we're doing. 13, 14. Let's see. Oh, I love this. This is Nehemiah is very upfront with God. Uh, uh, maybe some of you. Uh, well, anyway, it'll, it'll, I'll let it come in on itself. Um, Remember me that for this, oh my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. And then go to verse 22 in the same chapter. Uh, in 22, it says, Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and, and go and guard. Oh, and then, go, yeah, go and guard. It's actually the B verse of it. 
in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And then finally in verse 31, last thing he says, remember me with favor, O my God. You think he has a, he wants to make sure God remembers him. Do you think God will remember? I think God did. He put him in his word. So, so anyway, those are the prayers. Now let's switch gears. The next theme is the reading of the law. And this is one of my favorite parts in, in Ezra. And uh, this is something, um, this was when they were re rebuilding the altar. Yeah, let me just start there. Uh, so we're in Ezra, we're back in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. We'll just read five verses here. Then in the seventh month came from the Israelites had settled in their towns, and the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, and his associates, began to build the altar of God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite the fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning and evening sacrifice. In a, then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After, after they had pre presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for the all-appointed Feast of the Lord, as well as those brought freewill offerings to the Lord. So in other words, they were following the law of Moses. They were getting back to what they should do. So they built the altar, and then they used it the way they should. And if you turn over uh, to go to chapter 7, this is the one I wanted to go to. Sorry. Got so many verses here. This one is, um, this is what it talks about what Ezra did. And I really love this. And this really speaks to anybody that's, um, any kind of leadership at all, because it really, I think it just really fits. Um, for us, chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, uh, after these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, and he goes on and on and on. And you notice, I'll, I'll skip down a little bit. He was the son of Aaron. So he was in the priestly line. I thought that was really neat, the chief priest. So anyway, verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He was well-versed. He didn't just know it. He was well-versed in it. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, also came to Jerusalem on the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem on the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day, uh, let's skip down to, for the gracious hand of his God was on him again. This is, one, this is the verse I'm looking for, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself, remember there was no temple worship in Babylon, so they didn't have that. So what did he do? He devoted himself to the study, to the observance of the law, and of the Lord into teaching. So he was a student, and then he observed it, and then he taught it. 
And I thought, think that's the correct way to do it. Right, Travis? Yeah, that's, I just love that verse. Let me read that one more time. For Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law. Those are two things, though. And of the Lord and to teaching it to his decrees and the laws of Israel. So, neat guy. Um, do I want to go? Let's, um, let's see what, I'm trying to figure out how many. Let's skip over to, let's look at Nehemiah 8. Get you, get your fingers working. This is similar but different. <coughs> Here again, this is, I think, it will, will, uh, uh, Nehemiah 8, verse 1. Eight, Nehemiah 8, verse 1, 1 through 8. These are the family heads. I won't, well, I won't read all these. These are the family heads who's registered with them who came with me from Babylon. Let's skip down to um, let's see. Oh, I, t I said Nehemiah, didn't I? Yeah. I was in Ezra, and I thought it didn't look right at all. That, that won't work. That won't work. Uh, Nehemiah, okay. Yes, this is much better. Okay. Uh, well, let me start back up, and it's, it's a funny break there. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Isn't that interesting? So you got men and women, and who are the ones that are able to understand? Children, adults. Yeah, they're kids. Well, hopefully your men, women, and kids. yeah, the kids. The kids could understand. It doesn't say what age, but all could understand. I think that's really neat that he included the kids. He read it out. He read the law. He read it out loud from daybreak till noon. Remember, we talked about that before. And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for this occasion. Beside him on the right stood all these different uh, guys. Okay, the, I guess there are other like priests in that. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Yeah. Ezra praised the, praised the Lord the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So after reading the word, these people were struck. Um, let me read a little bit further. The Levites, uh, I won't go through those names, 
Uh, but I want you to see the latter part of that. Instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning, meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. That's the important part there. In other words, what they did is Ezra would, reads from the law. They break up in small groups. Ooh, small groups. That sounds like something we should do, huh? Break up in small groups, and they explain the meaning. I love that. It's just perfect. It's what we should do. I mean, it makes sense. And then the people could respond to that. Uh, let's go over to uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. And this is on the, the next day, let's say, or this is later, no, this is later, uh, the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth, having dust on their heads. I wouldn't recommend that. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God. And for a quarter of the day they spent reading the book, and another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God, standing on the stairs, and they goes on all the people that were there. Pretty amazing, isn't it? We complain about an hour or so, you know, and we get impatient. It's like, oh boy, we, they make us look bad, don't they? And then finally in verse uh, Nehemiah 10, so just kind of turn over a little the latter part 28 uh, Nehemiah 10 28 this is what the the people did they the rest of the people priests Levites gatekeepers singers temple servants and all who separated some, themselves from their neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of the God together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand all these now join with their brothers and nobles and they bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. Pretty amazing the impact of the reading of the law. And we've already actually we've already gone over some of the 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 other theme in here is sin and confession. You notice it was weaved in there. You can't really keep it separate. It's, it's Ezra 9 again, this, but they talked about the sin of mar intermarriage. And then in 10, which I just read, the people were confessing. And then in 9, uh, oh, excuse me, in Ezra 10, the people confessed. And then in Nehemiah 9, the people were confessed. So, uh, I think that's... I think that, uh, let's stop there for a second. Does anybody have any questions? We've gone over stuff kind of quickly. But I wanted you to see two different men, one a priest, one a layman. Both of them had a heart by God, okay? They had a heart for their people, for their land. Uh, Ezra, especially for the Word of God, he studied it, he obeyed it, which is even more important, and then he taught it. And he was good at it, and he got the other um, priests around, Levites, whatever they want to call them, and they would teach the people. And when the people heard the word of God and listened to it, what was their reaction? Repentance. They confessed. And they made an oath. And, you know, maybe they didn't keep it, but at least they were trying. They were weeping. I mean, this is, this is amazing. A friend of mine, a missionary in Papua New Guinea, told me once, we were doing a study in Genesis, 
And I, he said they, they've started doing that with the, the, what do they call it, third world or the people. They, don't, they didn't have a written language, and so he was actually translating them. And he said when they taught them Genesis, he, he said the natives, he said the people there, and they didn't even have their own language, when they shared with them Genesis, they related to that. They loved the genealogies, and they would come on their knees just weeping because that's us. We're like those people. That's what they said by just reading Genesis. Can you imagine? These are people without a language. He spent 20 years over there working with it, and I go, wow. So Genesis is a neat book. We've already gone through that. But. <laughs> so anyway, any questions on this? This is kind of quick to go over it. I, I really hope you read it or go back and read it, especially if you, you deal with people. Just a little um, about the curse. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't quite into, it entered into a curse and oath. I get the oath part, but the curse, I don't really understand that. Well, that's not a good thing to do. I don't recommend that. In fact, you shouldn't even make oaths or vows unless you really intend to keep it. Now, I made one. Uh, about 45 years ago. Okay. Okay. Now that one I intend to keep. All right. But you don't want to go around bragging, you know, because uh, that doesn't work. So our, their intent is good. Don't get me wrong. And this, for them, I think it was great they did that because that meant they were really sincere about that. But, but it says in other parts of Scripture that if you're going to make a vow, you better keep it because God's going to hold you to that. And you see that. Um, so... Does that, so uh, don't, don't bind yourself with a curse. That just shows the severity. It's kind of like when they rip their clothes. We don't do that today. You probably wouldn't want your kids doing that. You know, that wouldn't be good. So that was a cultural thing. So, anything else? He's pulling the hair out, really. He pulled his own hair out. Although I think Nehemiah did, uh, he pulled the other people's hair out, yeah. But Ezra, remember, he was so distraught, he pulled his own hair out of his beard. And I thought, oh, but like I said, that's more of a cultural thing. Hopefully, they were a little more expressive than we are. Well, even though it's a cultural thing, I think it just really shows the, the character of Ezra and Nehemiah, that like, the first thing that needed to happen was a, not just like an I'm sorry yeah. over sin sort of thing, but a deep like brokenness understanding the the holy god that they've offended and just the depth and depravity of their sin and they, they had to come to that place first and have that kind of understanding about it and so even though it's a cultural thing that pulling to the beard it really does i think communicate well just oh yeah they, this was a serious well you can see how both of them ezra and nehemiah they were, they were struck with grief and, and they, then when they made their confession, they prayed, they said, we have done this. You know, it's not just you guys. You guys are bad. I'm good. No, it wasn't that way at all. They confessed themselves. And, and it really, especially Ezra, studying God's word, he realized how much they fallen down on that. And whenever you see that, whenever you see it in Scripture, when the people read the, the word of God, the, the law of God, even, it affects them. There, there's an impact there. It makes a difference. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You see the penetrating power of God's word. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they knew God's word. Boy, they were tearing their clothes. Right. They, were, they were grieved. Well, all they had to do was read it to these people, and they were grieved. Right. Like just, that's, and I love the way they had their, the Levites share with the people and made it an understanding so they had meaning to it. Yeah. So they didn't just read it. They, they had to understand what they were reading. Sure. 
Sounds like a Sunday morning. Judy. In a, a King, a New King James Version of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, where we were talking about how he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, mm -hmm. and it added in here, and to do it. And do it, yeah. So here he is preparing, and part of that preparation is, is doing it himself before he goes to teach it to others, and which is a good example for us. You know, if we're going to teach a class or teach children, we yeah, I think like in a week working on that, and we're going to have many opportunities yeah. to practice what we're teaching before that time comes. I think that translation is a little bit better. I'm using an old NIV I'm, I'm comfortable with. You know, I, I know where everything is kind of thing. But, yeah, in it, it says study uh, and obs their observance of the law. I like yours better, though. Read that one again it, and do it. Um, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and right. ordinances in there's, Israel. The key is there's three parts to it. He studied it, mm -hmm. and then he actually did it, as I, you said there, and then, then he taught it. So before we, any of us that teach, we have to go through it first. It better, at least that's the way it should be. Yeah, I had a wise man tell me one time, a preacher friend, that anyone who teaches, if they study properly and well, they're going to always learn more than the student. Oh yeah, so. yeah, definitely, yeah. It, it's been a while since I've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, but it was, it was neat to go back and see good examples like this. It's really encouraging to see how God used them. You know, I just love the way Ezra is um, shares and shows what repentance really is. Oh mm -hmm. my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it just makes me wonder: Do I repent? Yeah. I really? Do I really mean mm -hmm. I am sorry? I repent for my sins. Am I doing this mm -hmm. because this is? Than what God would want us to do. Right. Not just saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, God, but to really put your heart where your mouth is. Great examples, aren't they? Both of them. Both of them good men. Travis? Just along those lines, <clears throat> with what a number of people are saying, you know, when, when leaders and collective groups repent, it's a real gift of God's grace. You know, mm -hmm. when, when people humble themselves, put their faith in God and they trust him, they repent of their sins. That's an indication of his favor, his blessing. Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. People are broken and contrite in heart. That's an indication of God's favor. I love the, the part where Ezra was ashamed to ask the king, you know, because he tell him how great his God was and then Ooh, I better not ask for help. And, but Nehemiah did it different. I love that. God put both of them in there. So you can see that it isn't necessarily right or wrong, that. But you can definitely see the heart of the two men. That's, that's what really comes across. So, any other? So next, oh, Chuck. I've just been trying to process this, uh, the, three, the three parts of the verse that we read about. Mm -hmm. it's, it's preceded by a heart attitude. Mm -hmm. For all three of those, set his heart, or in your translation, devoted. Mm -hmm. I think of that idea of the heart preparation is key to all of that. Um, and that's where God has to do, do the work mm -hmm. to, to set your heart. Is, to me, it seems like, you know, we use the phrase, you know, his mind is set in his way, you know, he's set in his ways, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it, that firmly established 
rooted. No moving this guy from his purposes. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's yeah. what I see in Ezra. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it says the hand of God was on him. I like that, too. But he was devoted himself. He decided, he made that decision. God obviously put it in his heart. But to study and he was known for that. And like I said, uh, I don't know if that's that's correct on that Psalm 119, but he did a lot of things. They, they even said he, he uh, it was tradition, but that he organized a lot of the Psalms. So he was really into God's word. I mean, in a very good sense in that. So that, that kind of makes sense, especially if you read Psalm 119. So, yeah, Kate? So was the, were these books then um, written or like some of the last times God's talking to his people? Yeah, actually. Like 400. Yeah, Nehemiah and I think it's, um, I wrote that down, and Malachi represent the old, oldest uh, writings. Now, we're going to have the prophets and things, but they actually come back and intermingle with the other stuff. So we're, this is kind of the, yeah, the, the, after this, I forgot to mention that. Nehemiah and Malachi represent the last of the Old Testament canonical writings. Then we have the 400-year gap, supposedly gap, and then you got the Maccabees and stuff in there, and then you have the New Testament. So, yeah, this is, this is towards the end. So we forget that because we think of, wow, we got a lot of, we got all the prophets to go yet, but. So they're kind of lined up for the, the setting up of when Jesus comes and they're, they've been following the law from this point on-ish. Well, they, yeah, <laughs> there was a big gap. Yeah, they had, they had their ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. I love the questions. The questions are good. It gives me different insights. So. Okay, we're a little early for the kids, but I'm sure they will like it. Uh, let me go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you again just for your examples and your word. The fact that they, they reverence your word, and especially Ezra, to study it, then to obey it or do it, and then to teach it. Help us to be men like that, Lord. Help us to be that way in our lives. Thank you for both of them and their character. They're willing to sacrifice. Nehemiah, a man in a royal surroundings, he gave that all up to go back and do this. My gosh, he, he was dedicated. We just pray we would have dedicated people like that here in our church. So, um, Lord, just to speak to us, help us to, to see these examples as, as good examples, people to uh, aspire to. Just be with us this week now and help us as we read Chronicles and go through that and get ready for next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.